Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the It's Just Dinner podcast. And this just happens to be our third season. Get out. So it's very exciting. Where is the time and gone? There, and there he is, the voice. Well, Bob Wallace. It's great to be here, Tom. It's good to have you back. Well, thanks. Great to be back. It's great to be, you know, back in school and have, you know, the start of the semester. It's, it's ex- exciting. Exciting. Everybody's still smiling, which yes, is nice. It is. So. Well, they haven't had a test yet. Just wait till <laughs> next week. That's fair. Welcome to Lauren sitting at our engineering booth. Welcome, Lauren. Hello. It's good to have you back. Good to be here. Um, we're excited about this uh, and talking about um, the issues with dating yes. and relationships and trying to fix them. I think Bob and I think we have all the answers. So, Well, if we don't, no one does. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're going to kick off this season and I'm very excited about our guest today. Yeah. Um, it's always great when we start the season with a live guest, especially live someone who's really smart. And, and somebody's written a book. Somebody that's an author. Man, yeah, it's is... very cool. Um, we, our guest today is Gaina Lynn Condi. And Gainalyn is an author, and she has written a great book. Yes, called the Stewardship Principle: Reframing Your Life, uh, a fantastic book. And she's also a um, a motivational speaker, a podcaster, um, and also a television host. I mean, she, she's on she's on Good she's Things on Utah. Yeah, so all welcome. the time. She's welcome, Gainalyn. How are you? So good to be with you both, and to to have this conversation and and to share whatever wisdom I've got to offer after 31 years of marriage and two kids in college dating. And so I've picked their brain and good. And so we'll see where the conversation goes. Good. We're excited. Um, Let's just start off by talking about your book. Is this your most recent book that you've written? Yeah. uh, The Stewardship Principle came out in May of 2022 and it's my ninth. So December, my 10th book will be released and it's a Christmas book. And I would say this is one of those books that um, for me, God was like, you can't leave the earth before you write this book. And so I'm kind of relieved that it's out and on bookshelves because so now you I can felt die. That, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I checked a huge ex- box. This was your exit strategy? <laughs> uh, no, hopefully not. But done. It, I'm ready it, to go, God. Take me anytime. <laughs> it definitely felt like... Uh, one of the things that that I was responsible for sharing. It was one of my stewardships. And so oh. I, I wrote it so that it would help those that had some idea of this principle to expand and, and apply it more. And mm-hmm. for those that it was a new principle, that it would be a good foundational jumping off point. I wrote it for men, women, college kids, teenagers. It's 68 pages. I don't think it's too overwhelming. And I really do think you know, the subtitle reframing your life, it does change the way you see everything, including, you know, for what we're talking about today, our dating experiences. Yeah, I agree. And I have to tell you, it was just a, it was a beautiful read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were, there were times when I was so touched by the spirit um, and actually teared up as I was reading this. So um, I just thought it was fabulous and wonderful. Um, Thank and you. I, I do have to point out one part of this, Bob. Oh, uh-oh. Um, as that a, sounds like a but. Yeah, as a sufferer of ADD, uh-huh. she, wrote, <laughs> she wrote something in there that I have I have told my wife and my children, and she knows what this is. I can tell. Uh-huh. Her. Um, and see, um, this is this is something that I had never thought about before, but this is actually true. And I'm going to have her explain what she thinks about this. But she called it the omniscience of embryonic form. 
And she says, uh, this is a quote, what if a person dealing with ADHD was, a sampling, was sampling the taste of God's omni-focus? And just like the growth of a baby, out-perceived obstacles may actually be the beginning of development of divinity. The fact that I can yeah. do multiple things at the same time is as close to divinity as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? I, I guess you can bend, you know, yourself into being God in <laughs> multiple different ways. I, I think that's a different malady than ADHD, isn't it? Yeah. Is where, that, did, where did this complex? thought come that... from? As I, I know a lot of our listeners suffer from this. We, well, I've constantly uh, tried to make sense of the whole thing. Right. So I'm, I've been married for 31 years. My husband is, is also in that category. And then my son, my oldest, who is back at BYU also deals with it. And it's interesting. Our son has, um, recently returned to college. He took a, a good 18 month break and uh, has learned some tools and applied them. And as he was sharing with us at a, we went out to dinner as a family one night and he shared with us what he's been learning and what he's found in online support. I, I said to him, I'm so happy that at a future date, you will be able to share with your wife this self-awareness and where it plays in relationships specifically and how it plays out in a marriage. Um, his dad and I didn't have that. And so it was interesting how this stewardship of ADHD uh, affected or impacted our marriage and still does, just like my set of stewardships impact our marriage, right? Like we, when we're in relationships, we bring a set of characteristics, strengths, weaknesses, and experiences. Absolutely. And I really do think ADHD individuals will have a leg up as we learn to be more like God, who regardless of what your faith is, if you believe he's omnipresent and omniscient, then he's, he's listening to a lot of his kids. He's watching a lot of things happen all at the same time. And so I do see it as a superpower, but I also have watched both my son and my husband um, where it's, it's a struggle. Right. And it so, is. and it, and it does impact, I think within relationships, what we're talking about today, my son has had some awareness of like, when someone's not in front of you, they're out of mind when you're dealing with this kind of ADHD lens in the world. And so when it comes to dating, you know, I, I think it's important that if you are someone that is experiencing this stewardship, or if you're dating someone that, that is, how that affects your communication and your dating, you know, Absolutely. like your relationships, because sometimes it can feel like, are you going to text me back? Are you going to make a plan? You said you were going to do this. You didn't do it. All of those things are really characteristic or common within the ADHD experience. And if you don't have that, it can feel like someone's not keeping their promises. They're not trustworthy. They're not interested anymore. And you can tell yourself a whole story about it. And so I'm really proud of my son I'm, I, I'm not going to say it's always been easy to have it be a part of like parenting or in my marriage. Um, but I'm not always easy to be around either. And so it's just the, <laughs> it's the fun of family life, right? That's right. Wow, well, that's... We're, Lauren and I, we're very proud of Tom too. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, it, just, uh, uh, looking at your book, the stewardship principle, let, let's step back just a minute from chapter one. You say, I am suggesting to begin to see life through the lens of a steward instead of an owner. Stewarding means you are in charge of something, responsible to manage it, or entrusted for watch care. 
And so it seems that the premise of the book is a mind shift to look yeah. at life as a steward right. rather than an owner of your life. Do you want to explain that? Well, I think ownership and taking ownership is kind of a buzzword right now. And so I've had some people intrigued with the premise, but what I try to say from the beginning is stewardship isn't not taking responsibility. It's not um, checking out of relationships, your health, your career, your education. It's actually more intentional, but it is also more empowering than an ownership mindset. When we go into ownership, we become, I'm going to speak for myself, and this is the premise of the book that I show throughout the whole book, depending on the chapter. The ownership voice in my life goes into comparisons more easily, goes into control, becomes hyper-focused on outcomes, takes away agency. You know, it's not as expansive versus stewarding doesn't mean I check out or I phone it in, so to speak, but it allows me to honor agency. It allows me to be more individualized and authentic. It, it allows for me and my faith, God, to be a part of those situations. And what I like to say is it makes all the good stuff better and all the hard stuff more doable. And that's why for the last 10 years, I've been studying this principle and applying it in my own life. And because it's a principle, it means I practice it. It doesn't right. mean I arrive at a place where I've mastered it. I'm always catching myself. I write the book this way where each chapter ends with a list of stewardship voice prompts and ownership voice prompts. Yeah, so I when you find I highlighted all of those. Yeah. Oh yeah. So for me, like when I'm in ownership, I just get to choose back into stewardship. It's not, I didn't fail at anything. I'm practicing it. It's a principle. And so um, because of that, there's only, you know, I could have written volumes and volumes in this book. I wanted to try to spotlight relatable and comparable stewardship so that people could take it and apply it, but expand it in their own way. Because maybe for you, you're not triggered in the health category or the body category, but you are in finances or education. And or, I think especially or with it or, yeah, or, or relationships. Dating. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think I wish I had had this information when I was in the dating space of life, yeah. because I think when you when you are in a stewardship mindset, it's easier to show up authentically when you're in, in a dating situation, knowing that you're a steward over things. So for me, like in looking back, it, it can prevent um, someone from hiding a part of themselves instead of like I talk about addiction. I talk about um, a number of like education, um, body issues, uh, health issues. When, when you're in a stewardship mindset, then I think you're more likely to share with someone you're dating who you really are. And instead of putting value of like good or bad, you, you show up in a way that says, I'm pretty aware of like the example I said of my son, that I'm, that I have a stewardship of ADHD. It's not a bad or a good thing. It's not shame-based. It's, this is the reality. And if I'm intentional about using the tools that I've learned to steward over this diagnosis, um, then it can be a gift and, and it can be a challenge. So for example, I, I didn't know I had chronic illness. I didn't know until I had been married only a couple of years that I was going to be diagnosed with a major chronic illness, lupus. And 
the doctors at the time said I'd have 10 years to live and we'd never have children. And I've thought a lot about like, what would I have done in the dating phase if I knew that diagnosis? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, would I have, would I have, how quickly would I have disclosed it? How, how would I have felt about dating my husband who, whose father died of MS? So we were kind of perfectly matched because we didn't know that would be a part of our marriage. And yet he had already had a life experience where he had some sensitivity and empathy and awareness of what autoimmune or, or chronic illness, how it manifests and changes a relationship. Right. So I, I think for dating life, if you have this mindset, it can take away the shame and that fosters, I think, true connection and honesty instead of hiding who we are, we show up in stewardship and it becomes the points where I make the case in the book where you may be the gift in someone else's life because you have a unique stewardship. Now, now there's, there's a couple things you've said there and a few things from your book that I'd, I'd like to mention and then kind of pivot that into okay. our dating. And, and as a steward, one of the things that you talk about here is looking at the failures or challenges in your life as gifts. That, that even the most difficult and heartbreaking circumstances that we have in mortality can be a gift to you. And, and so, you know, when we look at dating, a lot of times people seem to have more failures than they do <laughs> gifts. And, and, and so many times we don't look at, at challenges as things that will strengthen us. Um, you say, I'm saying that maybe more of the moments you think are messes or missed uh, um, appointments really are miracles in the making. You may not know it until the next life, the impact of an unexpected change of plans. Right. So we see when, when it comes to relationships and datings, we, it's probably the most common thing that we see and that we hear from young single adults is that many times they have miscues and they have failures. Right. And, and sometimes those failures are polarizing for them and stops them from engaging in relationship development. And so is this part of your theory of becoming a steward is to look at the missteps, the failures, the uh, disappointments as gifts? Is that the mindset that you're propo uh, proposing here? Well, what I would say is that um, regardless of where you're at in the dating world, if you're single and trying to have relationships and, and whether they're romantic or friendship based only, right? I think as you approach those situations and some of them turn out good and, and, and turn out with an outcome, like maybe they turn into a relationship where you're steadily dating the same person. Maybe they move into an engagement or maybe a marriage. Maybe they're in the friend zone for a really, really long time, right? Regardless, with, you, with the stewardship mindset, you become less focused on the outcome and you show up for the experience mm -hmm. and very important when that happens that means there's losses right there's heartbreak there's learning i mean i i tried to raise my children with the idea that whoever you love teaches you about love and so when i married their dad i wasn't I didn't hide the fact that I had loved other people before I had loved him. Right. And he didn't hide the fact that he had loved other people before he was in a relationship loving me. And because of that, um, most recently, my high school sweetheart, who I'm almost married, just recently died just a few weeks ago. And so it's a really tender part of my heart. He never married. He never had children of his own. And he stayed in contact with our family. And 
I've, I've had him more in my mind and dating him in high school and even through college a lot lately because of his passing. And so my kids have heard me start, you know, reshare stories I've shared over the years with them about how much I believe in that principle. So if you're in a situation where it's been traumatic or the dating didn't turn out the way you thought, or the person didn't feel the same way about you, can, when we reframe it as stewardship, then it's about learning and it's about experience. And I keep telling my kids, I want you to have those experiences. I want you to continue to have opportunities where you get to know other people, but it, in return, you get to know yourself because if we're just outcome focused, we miss out on the learning. I think we're just trying to get to a point on the map or a goal. And, and then if we make dating about that, then it is going to be more frustrating. If we make it about learning, then every experience is a, it can be of value. Yeah, what Bob and I have been talking about for several years now is that idea that just go and meet someone, sit across from them, look in their eyes and talk, communicate. Mm -hmm. and learn i mean it's a learning process and it may like like you said it may not turn into something it may not be a relationship but it's important to learn as you go through that and even if yeah. there's heartbreak you learn about something and yeah you know we weren't we didn't come to this earth to have everything work out we right feel pain and sorrow i just that's i just asked my i just asked my beautiful daughter who just moved out to go to college at Brigham Young University and her brother is there too living. She's living in one of the dorms and he's living off campus in, in an apartment close to campus. And, and I asked her and her, her friend was over that she went through high school with. And she, I said, why is dating important? And they said, it, it literally is to figure out what you like and invest in people. Mm -hmm. And right. yet yeah, they, they said in so many situations, when you don't make it about having fun, getting out of yourself, and getting to know people, then it turns into a lot of hanging out and no dating. That's right. And so their advice is like, I, I've loved watching my kids, both of them did a pretty decent job in high school of trying to facilitate dating opportunities. And then, you know, obviously those dynamics change a little when you go into college, but I think the principles are the same, that if you go on lots of dates and you meet lots of people, you start to learn that that investment isn't lost. Like That's the energy the exact premise of our podcast. Say, she sounds like she's <laughs> talking about. We need to get her to come. Wow. We didn't even. She can her. join yeah, the It's Just was, Dinner she team. She did that for free. Wow, she's just giving. <laughs> she's giving it I all mean, up for us. That's amazing. Now, now, before we get too far down on this, there's a story that you uh, alluded to in our pre-conversation uh, about how your name and it's pronounced Ganel Lynn. No, it's G pronounced Ganelin. Yeah, Ganelin. And uh, you said that your name almost uh, <laughs> dis destroyed your marriage. Now, you said you weren't going to explain that to me until we got on the air. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how is it that your name was almost a, a, a deal killer on your love of your life? Okay, so um, for your BYU audience, th some of this vernacular will sound familiar. If, um, if listeners from other faiths are listening, it, it may not translate. So I'm okay. going to try to be interfaith friendly here. Good. So I, right. I was a California girl who back in the day, 35 years ago, right? Like you had to call home collect. There was no 
Google. There was no cell phones. There was no nothing. So my parents, I was the first in my family. I'm the oldest to go to college. So they loaded up the station wagon. Literally, we stopped in Salt Lake to get a coat at Burlington Coat Factory because we couldn't find winter clothes in California. And they drove me to Rexburg, Idaho and dropped oh, me off at Rick's College. Oh, and uh, I moved into an apartment that was a townhome set up with uh, five other roommates that I didn't know. Like no one had, could like stalk each other on social media. So I had no idea who anyone was. I mean, like, I'm just giving you context for what we used to have to do to socialize and get to know each other, like for good or bad. Right, yeah. We didn't, yeah, we had six girls sharing one bathroom and, um, and we go to church the first Sunday and I remember exactly what I was wearing because my husband talks about it all the time now, but I was wearing a blue dress with white polka dots on it and, um, this really cute guy who ended up not being my husband. Isn't that hilarious? This really cute guy gets up and he was dressed so nicely. And I don't know what, he, I don't know if he gave like the opening prayer at church or I don't know what he did, but he did something that he was in front of everyone at church. The next week, the bishopric, this is where vernacular is important. The bishopric went around and met all the new apartments, right? All the people. Right. And they were trying to like get the information to set people up in family homey homey main groups mm -hmm. so my apartment complex and my husband's apartment complex was in the same ward and they were trying to match up girl apartments with boy apartments for a family home evening group so, so and, those who are uh, non-LDS just imagine yeah. Harry Potter and the sorting hat <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it's a sorting hat exactly it's a okay where the weekly get-togethers which, which are awkward it. but yeah right so when the bishopric came around, they were getting to know everyone. And I, I'm sure your listeners can tell if they know me from my other platforms, they know I'm not shy. My husband was newly home from his mission and um, was roommates with this really cute guy that I had seen at church. I don't remember seeing my husband and, and he was newly home from his mission and was deathly shy. No one knows that about him now. He's a, an amazing accountant CFO. Um, but he's had 31 years of, of hanging out with me and I talked to everybody. So when the bishopric came around, I said, Hey, I want to put in dibs. Uh, if you're matching us up for family home evening groups, I want to, I want to be in the group with that guy. Oh. And, uh, so he happened to be my husband's roommate. So they matched us. Well, the first family home evening activity, my husband happened to be the in charge of it. And he wanted to do smoothies. And um, and they did the candy, like get to know you game where you grab the handful of M&Ms and then you answer questions about who you are based on the color that you got in the M&Ms. And everyone in the group, in the two apartments, liked sports and I didn't. So when it came to me, everyone had already said, like, I love sports. I love this sport. I, and I said, I don't like sports, but I really like keeping a clean house or something. I said something lame. Well, they had borrowed my blender to make smoothies for this family home evening activity. Now, I didn't know my husband was ADD, but I what I found out later is he never would return the blender. Never. Like, I asked him for weeks to return the blender. And he wouldn't because he was trying to figure out a really cool way to ask me out on a date. But this is where my name comes into it. He didn't know how to say my name. 
He could not remember how to pronounce my name. He couldn't Google it is, me. It is a different name. I mean, it's very, I'm the only one in the world with it. Yeah. yeah. So he literally held on to the blender for months and I was starting to get kind of irritated. By this point, I had gotten to know him. He was a nice guy. He was super quiet. He finds out that he finally returned my blender. Later on, he tells me why he finally turned it turned it over to me is he found out I had a boyfriend back at home, which is the, the, the friend I just mentioned that just passed away. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so he ended up, this is a saga. He ended up dating my roommate for a good year because wow. her name was simple and, and her name was Amy. <laughs> and, uh, That's right. and we stayed really good friends. And let me say this, it all worked out perfectly because for a full school year, we were really good friends and I just got to know him in a, he, he sang acapella. He was in barbershop. He was the guy that gave us priesthood blessings. He's, he had a car, so he would go pick up our groceries because we didn't have cars. And, and we just became really good friends. Fast forward to the did, next school but year. Did he, did he ever learn how to say your name? He did learn <laughs> how to say my did name. Did he just and call became, you, hey, you? Or... No, no, no. He learned how to say my name. And the next year, um, he and Amy broke up. My boyfriend, um, who ended up being his roommate for a while, we broke up. And and that's the end of the story that began the story of us being more go. than friends. So now, now the I, big I, question, though, is in your marriage. Did you guys have a blender? We do have we now have two blenders. We just okay. got a second well, blender last week. Whew, I that's was wondering how that point. was going to come out. <laughs> that's a really good idea. We should make smoothies this weekend yeah, because I now we're we empty should. nesters and no. we should like yeah, mark that. So, yeah celebrate with smoothies yeah yeah well, okay well we're glad that that all worked out and we're glad that your husband can now pronounce your name correctly <laughs> it's, it's, that that is one of the things in dating learn how to pronounce the other person's name yeah yeah and don't yeah. be afraid to ask now now with someone that... someone with a a somewhat difficult name where you've probably heard it pronounced numerous different times because um, looking at a it, million that, times are you offended when someone says now nah, how do you pronounce your name no, but listen, I'm going to say this. At all the important points in my life, it's been mispronounced. So when I graduated oh. from college, it was not pronounced correctly. When we were married in the temple, for those that are LDS, the sealer never said it right. And so no. we jokingly say that we're polygamous because... <laughs> He was he sealed to, to like so many different people. Yeah, six <laughs> other women. None so, of them so were. What's the most common mispronunciation of you? Ganel, probably Ganel. Ganel. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I could see that. I think that's what. But I phonetically, if you see it spelled G A N E L, it's phonetically Gainolin Long A. G so Gainolin, and it's hyphenated. And so that confuses people because there's like grammar in it. And uh -huh. what do you do with the grammar? You know, so. Okay. Not it's fine when you try to have a website or an Instagram account right. because in a YouTube channel, but in junior high, it's hell. Can I say that? <laughs> I, I bet yeah. it is. And yeah, so cool. did, uh, what kind of relationship do you have with your mom and dad? Are, I mean, you, <laughs> are you holding this against them? You know, right now, you know, well, my mom's middle name is Gainel and my great grandma's name was Gainel. And then they added the hyphen Lynn. And so I, I don't tell your kids name. what you were going to name them because my dad's name is Daniel and they were going to name me Danielle. And I always say all the cute girls are always named Danielle. Why didn't you fight no. harder to have me named after you, dad? And all, all the cute yeah. girls in my experience are named Gainel. That's what I <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank and, you. And, and, and so um, did you name your daughters Gainel? Did no. you carry on? What's that? Why not? You didn't carry because on it the was, tradition. It, it was too much of a stewardship. It was a heavy uh, stewardship. Oh, now we get back. Right we back come for we're, yeah. right back to where yeah, we're okay, supposed good, to be. Good, good yeah. job. But, but my daughter has a home. my daughter has a combination name of my husband's middle name Brooks and my first name Gainolin. So she's Brooklyn. 
So, yeah. And then I have a son. I have just two children. I have a boy and a girl. And so I... I, you know, I always tell them I'm going to love whoever they marry because mm-hmm. I can't hide the in-laws I don't like with the in-laws that I do like. It's mm-hmm. going to be obvious. That's right. Well, there you go. Well, I'm going to yeah. really, I'm going to reel you back in here just a little bit, Bob. Is that okay? Well, it's your show. Because I have, and well, I'm I have just, two really important just questions that I want to ask. Yeah. I have no authority go. in this. Um, we have, we have a, a, a good amount of young people and, and, and older people that listen to our show that have a real fear of relationships or of dating. And what happens because of that fear uh, or insecurities, they stay in their apartment uh, and they, they don't go out, they don't interact. Um, and, and, and Bob and I over the years have talked about how, you know, church culture and, and the culture we live in has caused a lot of that. But what would you say to those, uh, those people who um, are either they claim they're busy or they're afraid or there are other obstacles in the way of them uh, getting out and meeting people and, uh, and experiencing some of these things? Well, I would first say from a mental health standpoint, um, those that know me know I do a lot of work in the mental health area. My, I had a sister die at the age of 40 of suicide. And so I'm sensitive to to mental health issues and struggles. And I would just say that I would get below what is it that you're afraid of. So when you're clear about what the fear is, if it's fear of rejection, is it fear of, um, is it just anxiety because it's generalized anxiety around the socializing aspect of that? Then once you can identify what makes you afraid, I think you can set things up in a way that allow you to move the needle. I think sometimes we believe that if we are are free of fear, then we're in courage. But to me, courage always shows up in the face of fear. It's it. I write about this in one of my other books, uh, Let God Prevail, that fear is just not letting it's just not giving fear the last word in this situation. And so if you're waiting for there to be no fear, I I don't believe that's being courageous. And I think the reality is we all walk into social situations with our own story in our head. So I would ask the individual to get clear on what is the story you're telling yourself about how you fit in, in the dating world, and then start to construct things in a way that feel more doable. So maybe for you, it's meeting for swig because it's not a full commitment to, I mean, not to take away from the name of your podcast. It's not a full dinner. It's not a whole meal. No, we've, and we've said it's just swig many times. It's just it. swig. It's just <laughs> it be, swig. It could be, it's just anything. Yeah. Right. It it's be, just it's, it's just uh, the M&M game or it's just. Yeah, the, the it's blender. just game night. Right. Like <laughs> it's just a my husband and I are in an interesting phase as as empty nesters. We've realized we've let our kind of double dating game get a little lazy when we were raising our kids. And now we're starting to realize that we need to have other relationships with couples that are maybe in a similar time of life. And so we're trying to talk through what does that look like to create connection? And I would say, make it about connection and realize that everyone that you're dating or you're interacting with is also showing up with a story in their heads. You know, I I know some of the really famous, really well-known, really accomplished individuals and i count them as as friends and it's interesting to hear on a friend level what people say to themselves about themselves while the world has a different story about who they are right and so 
realized that like in the same way that I've gone back to high school reunions and realized that everyone was more worried about what their outfit was and they didn't even remember what my outfit was that day. Um, most of the time we're not really spending as much time thinking about the other person or people aren't really spending that much time thinking about us as we are thinking about ourselves. So if you can it, take it, it a little the, less it was serious the blue dress with the polka dots yeah. on it. A, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so, so let, let, let me give you a real world experience here so we can kind of drill down. Uh, many people, when they date, when you talk about fear of rejection, that's very high on the list, especially for a lot of young men because they don't have a lot of experience dating before. So we all have certain insecurities about our looks or our weight or how smart we are or hair color or everything. And so many times when we venture out and we ask someone out and we get rejected, sometimes that fear can be overwhelming paralyzing. to people, can be paralyzing to people yeah. because then it just reinforces all the negative uh, impressions they have of themselves in all those areas. So what would you recommend to someone who has fallen into that rejection, polarization, hurt to help them to move forward? Because sometimes that's very, the fact we see that is probably the most common reason that people don't date is because of that, not necessarily the fear of rejection, but the experience of rejection. So I would say every person on the planet deals with some mental health issues. And so the reality is if your anxiety is based in experience where there has been enough rejection that you have evidence in your mind of it failing, I would reframe, not to just plug that, but reframe the experience of dating. Can you make it about service? Can you make it about connection? So if the rejection has come on this like really one-on-one -on -one base, I would say dial it back just a little bit so that you're fostering connection in your life. Wow, and yeah. when we do that, yeah. we are wired for connection. But if we've had enough rejection, it is just like in the animal kingdom. It's easy to like close in and cover up in the vulnerable places of our hearts. And so just like an animal doesn't expose usually their underbelly, we literally as humans cover up our hearts because we don't want to be exposed and out there in the world. I just read something though that I thought was so interesting that redwoods in, in these big redwood forests, the, the root systems become intertwined in each other so that they become stronger because the root systems of one tree intertwine in the root systems of another tree. And I'm not trying to say that we need to be codependent of each other, but if you have experienced rejection, find a partner in this. Like mm -hmm. my son was great at this with in high school. He and his buddy would make it a goal to ask as many girls out on dates and they would plan these really fun dates together. I think individually they would have been more nervous, but the fact they were doing it together, right. my daughter did the same mm -hmm. thing. And so maybe for you, it's the one-on-one -on -one that is the most vulnerable. Don't jump straight to that jump to, do you already have a good friend that's willing to take their insecurities and plan something with you? Yeah. When it's a double date situation, it takes some of that one-on-one -on -one vulnerability away, but it's still fostering connection with some, like in the bowling terms, some bumper pads. So where this, where this podcast was kind of born was that idea of connections. And what Bob and I have tried to tell people is, look, don't necessarily date just go make a connection just go make right. a friend just sit across and talk to someone and and make a friend it doesn't right. have to be about 
um, about dating and relationships and marriage and all those things. I just really quick, I wanted to ask you one more thing, and that was, uh, you know, rejection is part of the problem with some people in dating. The other problem that we see here in, in our culture is that I have to marry every person that I date. Mm-hmm. And if I go on a date with her, that means we're going to get married. Or if he asks well, me you, on a you date. You should look at every person you date as a potential marriage partner, <laughs> which is. That's, a, that's danger. I mean, that's yeah. what we hear all the time. And, and sets it's, you yeah. up for failure. And so a lot, of, a lot of young men and young women will not date because um, they're afraid that everyone is going to stigmatize them as, you know, you're a couple now. You're going to date. Uh, what would you say to those people who are really afraid of dating because um, they don't want to get in a relationship and that that will cause them to get married? So I asked my kids about this that are both in this phase of life. And as we were talking, they, you know, they they re-quoted me back to me and they just said, Mom, you've always taught us like you've always taught us like to marry your best friend and that everyone you have relationships with is about your learning and you don't lose it, you carry it forward. And so for me though, one of the things that came to mind as I was talking to them is because they're both in college right now, they're taking classes that aren't necessarily what their major is or what their career is, right? My daughter is doing a lot of generals. My son has changed majors a few times. And so I gave the analogy, every class they take isn't their career. Like, my daughter's taking social dance and astronomy and psychology. My son is taking an accounting class. His dad is so proud, but he's wants to be an illustration major. Right. And so in the same way, can you look at dating in that way that every class you take in college isn't your career, but it's part of the experience of getting your degree. And, and I think there's value in seeing that each person you meet in the world, whether you are in a relationship, dating them or marry them, has something to offer you in part of their experiences and their learning that they're going to have with you. And so when we, you know, I don't, I will be surprised if, if my daughter decides she wants to go into astronomy, but she's taking it this year. And so I hope she's open-minded when she takes the class, not thinking, well, this isn't worth anything because I've got to show up now every week for the next semester. Um, and this isn't even my career. That's the value of it is general eds are about that. Can we general ed date a little bit more and not assume that every class we're taking is our career. Every person we're dating is a relationship. What a great, what a great analogy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to use that. Good. That, no, I may not quote you on that. I, mean, <laughs> I think you should because that would be plagiarism. So, so this has been a fascinating discussion, and I just want to kind of circle back, Ganelle uh, uh, Lynn Condi, to your book and tell all our listeners why they should buy it. And, and, well, it's eight. It's eight dollars or cheaper, depending on well, where you buy it. Amazon. You know, the, the inexpensiveness of the book isn't the thing. But here, I want to. Uh, <laughs> you, you, in one of your chapters here, you have this, and I want to read this because I just think this was so poignant to me. Um, as Mother Teresa once said, this is what you say in your book: "Quote: I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world." In the end. It won't be about the book sales or church callings, YouTube subscriptions or awards. Making a difference will be about showing up. Great, great quote. And, and, and I just love that thought because it ties so well into what we talk about in the dating world, that the success is doing it. The success is just showing up 
and just you got to just keep trying you got to keep meeting people keep going to dinner keep going to make uh, smoothies in the blender keep going to you know getting a a, a a drink together and meeting people and having conversations absolutely and you know what i'm getting emotional as you're talking because i'm thinking about my high school sweetheart who's passed i don't regret anything i don't regret that we've stayed friends i don't regret that we were once in love and we dated I don't regret um, that we made sure we made time to stay connected to each other. My husband would stay connected with him as well. Um, because you don't know, not to be overly dramatic as, as a 51-year-old empty nester, but life is short and life can change in a moment's notice. And when we make life about connection and people, it's messy. It really is messy sometimes. And dating is messy and it's awkward and it's vulnerable. Um, but I'm so grateful for the people but and it the is fun. It's fun. It is it's fun. fun. It's fun. And it's fun learning to date my husband again after, you know, uh, entering a new phase and season. And, and we're learning about each other because we're not like stagnant in time. We're not frozen in time. The people we were 30 years ago when we married are not the people we are now. And right. so, I think when we make space for each other to grow, to mess up, to make mistakes, to try, but if we make it about people and connection, it de, I think it demystifies and it takes the charge and the fear and the anxiety down just a little bit. Like I've been invited to some, some big events coming up and I realized today that I was triggered in my head. That old junior high part of my head was allowed loud and awake of like, who's going to invite me to sit by them at the table kind of <laughs> feeling. And I thought, isn't that interesting? After all the events and all the experiences I've had, there's still that part of me. And so I had to get really clear that I am having those opportunities because I want and value the connection. And that's what it's about. Very wise words. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is, this was Ganalyn Condi. Thank you so much. Thanks um, for having tell me. Tell everyone where they can get your book. Where is it? Well, the good thing of having a weird name is that Google knows exactly who you're trying to find. And so <laughs> my website is my website is my name, gainalyn.com and um, two L's. And all the links to all my platforms are right there on my website. And um, they can get my book on Amazon, Siegel Book, and Desert Books, sometimes at uh, Costco, but not always. Well, it's just a fabulous book. Yes, and thank you so much. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, just very wise words. I'd encourage you to go get the book. It is just an amazing read. Uh, and thank you again for, for being on a part of our podcast and really helping people understand uh, about the stewardship principle and how that can really change their life and affect your life. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can always reach us at, and I have a new uh, email address, Bob. Get out. The, this is the third year we the, got a new it's email. It's just dinner podcast oh. at gmail.com. Wow, so you can get us, uh, you can talk to us there. Also, don't forget our Instagram page. It's just dinner YSA. And our we have a TikTok. It's just dinner. Uh, so at TikTok. So go there and we've got some fun stuff up there for you to listen to. Uh, and always please make comments and get us involved in your lives as well. Uh, thanks for listening. And hey, just go have fun out there, would you? 